good morning, Calvary. And uh, as Charles said earlier, I'll say it again. Thanks so much for joining us this morning uh, online or whenever you're joining us, whether it's this morning or later in the week. I'm really thankful to be able to join you here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Jeremiah, and I'm the young adult pastor here at Calvary. That's part of my job. The other part of my job is actually I'm one of the associate pastors at the Quakertown campus. But if you've heard me talk before, or really if you've probably talked to me for any amount of time, I used to be a teacher. And the reason I bring that up is because I wanted to begin this morning by giving us, I'm going to say it, an expectation that I'm walking into this with. And I think it'll be helpful as we uh, take a look at Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Um, But my expectation is this, one that I had to learn. It probably is best if we enter every situation and just assume that everyone is trying their best. Everyone's doing the best they can. It probably is just going to help everything go well. Now, not going to be perfect, not going to do it every time. Take that from me. It took me, you know, 11 years in the career. I felt like the last year was when I finally got that, really. But just assume everyone is showing up and they're doing their best. And Andrew said it earlier, this has been a long season. And uh, I think what has tended to happen is that because so many things were taken away from us, we realized that those things maybe had been silencing frustrations that we had or thoughts that we had or realities that we couldn't see. And uh, in the silence, those things have, have grown loud. But I want you to know I'm just assuming we're doing the best that we can. And I actually mean that. I'm not just saying that. I I mean that. We're doing the best we can. Now, that's helpful, I think. Because if we assume that here, I think it's helpful for us to assume that about the churches in Corinth that Paul was talking to in his letter, his first letter to the Corinthians. And so we've been going through this series called Be the Countercultural Church, Well, to be countercultural, it's probably helpful if we understand the culture so that we can know how we're going to go against it. And so we've been taking a look at the culture of Corinth, and we left off last week where Charles had spent the time in the end of chapter three of the letter to the Corinthians. And it it basically was about, if you uh, don't remember or didn't get a chance to see it, it was about this idea that the church in Corinth had picked people that they liked better. If I could, it, it, they picked people they liked better. So there was Paul, the writer of this letter, and then there was Apollos, whose name comes up. And Paul's basically like, look, you're missing it. Don't do that. You're, it's not one or the other. And Charles talks about, we're just doing different things. You're missing it if you're picking one over the other. But that got me thinking, because it's helpful, because we're, we're going to see Paul continue to talk about that in chapter 4. Got me thinking, where does that happen in our culture? And then it became obvious. Where in our culture do we pick one person and follow them? LeBron versus Michael Jordan, right? Obviously, LeBron. And I know that some of you, especially those of you from Chicago, hate me for saying it. Those of you who don't watch basketball maybe have no idea what I'm talking about. So, I mean, we could, we could there's, there's tons of examples. <laughs> Probably the most obvious example is politics. The culture says that we need to pick one over the other. And in the great duopoly of America, if you didn't pick the right side, 
<laughs> you're probably wrong. Paul is saying, stop doing that to us. Stop doing that. That's not what this is. We are just doing different things. And we're doing them together. Now, Paul says in chapter 3, hey, we're servants together. And in chapter 4, he's going to unpack a little bit more about what that means. So, uh, Charles mentioned it earlier, if you missed it. We're going to be taking a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to open up to it, if you want to open up to it as well. Or like scroll to it on your app. I don't know what you do. It doesn't matter. Whatever, however you got it, here we go. So let me just uh, take some time. We'll read through it. In fact, sorry, pause for a second. Something I think would be great for us to consider doing is sometime this week, find an audio version of 1 Corinthians and just listen to the whole thing start to finish. Really neat. I did that. Really cool. Anyway, chapter four, though, here we go. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over and against the other. You wouldn't even do that. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You've begun to reign and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you're so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we curse, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Now, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Now, you might say, Jeremiah, you just read it. 
Are you really going to go back through and talk about it? Yes, I am. And I will say this, for those of you who are not accustomed to reading the Bible, that's okay. You don't, you don't have to be. But I'm, when I'm doing this, I really want, I'm doing it because it wouldn't be a terrible idea if that's what we did. So read the whole thing. Don't stop. Read the whole thing. Hear it all. And then go back and read it again. And that's what we're going to do. So in verse 1, Paul is saying, hey, you, you really need to understand that we are servants of Christ and those who are entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. He talked about this in chapter 3, but he's really saying we, we are entrusted we're given something from God because we're God's servants. That's important because that's not how they were viewing Paul and Apollos. They were viewing them as better than the other, basically because in culture, you really say, oh, if you got something good to say, you must be the originator of those good things. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. We're servants of God. You've, you've got it twisted. Stop twisting it. Okay, now he can he continues in verse two when he says, now it's required that those who have been given a trust, they have to show that they're faithful. And then he goes on to elaborate and basically says, look, I don't care what you think of me because you didn't give this to me. It didn't come from you. So you can decide what you want about me or Apollos. It doesn't matter. You're not the one that I work for. And he even says, and honestly, I'm not the one that I work for. I'm not the one who gave this to me. I might stare in the mirror and think, yeah, I don't think I did anything wrong today. It doesn't matter what I think of myself. What matters is what God says. Because God is the one who gave it. He's the one that we've entered into this with. Don't treat it as it, don't treat it like the culture is around you. You have to acknowledge that the real agreement is between you and God. So don't judge anything. Don't tell me whether or not we did a good job now. Because the truth is, it might look like we did. Then later we'll hear about some hurt we caused. The truth is, it might look like we didn't. And later we'll hear about some love that we created. That's how this, don't do that. Wait until the time when God comes so that God can tell you how we did. And when he comes, he says, everyone's going to receive their praise from God. Everyone is going to receive their praise from God. He knows the motive of your heart. He knows, as Charles talked about in chapter three, what your foundation has been. You're worried more about the fruit that Apollos and I are producing God is concerned with the root from where it grew. Stop worrying about the fruit and the stuff. You got to make sure that you're doing this for God. You, Corinth, us, Paul and Apollos. And so he goes on and he continues in verse six. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you'll not be puffed up and following one or the other. Wouldn't even be a question if you would think about what was written. Now, culturally, people who are advocating for peace would have said something like this. The, the sense really is, hey, 
We agreed to these things. The peace or the lack of peace is coming because you're forgetting. Don't go beyond. Don't add to it. Don't make us into the politicians. We're not. Don't do that. Don't go beyond that. This is what we agreed to. Now, for those of you who don't know this about me, I love the Old Testament and I'm spending a lot of time in it. So when I said, when I saw don't go beyond what is written, naturally, I'm going to look back in the Old Testament because I know Paul grew up and that was kind of what his training was in. Now, he's not speaking to people who might know that, but that's where his training is from. And so that actually took me, uh, if you want to turn, you can, but I'll, I will read it to Exodus 19. So in verse 3, God has brought um, Israel out of Egypt, and now they're at Sinai, uh, the mountain where pretty soon he's going to give them the Ten Commandments. And he says this, or this is what we, what we see. It says, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself brought you to myself. Interesting. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is God talking to Moses in this way. There's a couple things that stick out to me from this passage. And it just makes me wonder, Paul, are you, is this what, so anyway, the first is this, when God says in verse five, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, that out of all nations, you'll be my treasured possession. That is actually what people who got married would have described each other as. We can go down that trail another time, but it's marriage speak. The covenant that God is talking about, I believe, is really a covenant of marriage, of intimate connection to Israel. That's what he's talking about. I think that's really helpful for us to know because it might be that in Corinth, they've forgotten that it was that kind of thing. They didn't realize it was that kind of connection. Paul's not referencing Exodus but I do think Paul probably has that in mind. And even if he doesn't, to me, it is in line, and we'll see in a minute, with the things that Paul is saying. But the other thing that sticks out to me is this. You will be for me, the you will be for me in verse 6. That's plural. You together. So we would read that and maybe think it's speaking to us individually. They were, it, was, it was a nation. It's a you plural. You all. Y'all those of you from the South, whatever. Y'all, you together will be for me a kingdom of priests. What an interesting phrase, priests, people who are intimately connected to God. And you'll be holy, that is set apart because of your intimate connection to God. So when I saw, don't go beyond what is written, I'm immediately thinking, Oh, oh, so you're saying it's been written a long time. And I, was, I think it has been written a long time. Now, the people in Corinth may not have thought like that, but I can almost guarantee that Paul would have had these ideas swirling around in his mind because that's what he did for a living. That's why he's chasing Christians and killing them because he was so committed 
to who God was in the Torah. So we jump back to Corinthians here. Actually, we're going to go back to verse um, 16 and 17 from chapter 3. But before we do that, this is the idea that I want us to consider. Culture says to stand at the top alone. God says we will be wholly set apart together with others in a covenant connection to him. So the culture says, no, do it, do it on your own. But God says, no, do it together with me. And in 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, in, in chapter 3, he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That you yourselves are intimately connected? That God res- you know, resides in you? That wherever you go, God goes because he's taken up residence in you. But Paul says, God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Together we're that temple. So if we're thinking about this and we're bearing this in mind, in chapter 4, Paul then goes on to say, you heard me read it, you know, we're fools for Christ, but, you know, Corinth, you're so wise. Look at you. We're weak, but you're strong. Look at you, Corinth. We are honored, or you're honored, and we're dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. Remember, we're in this together. We go hungry and thirsty. <coughs> we are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We do work hard. When we're cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. I want to be very clear. When we're persecuted, we endure it. That's the mark of the Spirit. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Kindness is a mark of the Spirit. It doesn't matter how bad off we are. This is what we do. Corinth, what are you doing? And Corinth, if we were supposed to do it together, then why are we so different? Why is it so different? What have you missed? This is what I think has been missed. I think we see it in Exodus, and I think we definitely see it here. (coughs) So Paul, there in Corinthians, I believe it's verse 8. Or no, right before, verse 7. For who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Do you really think that you did this? Remember what we agreed to. You didn't do it. That's part of the agreement. In fact, it's part of the agreement in Exodus. In verse 6, he says, God says, everything on earth is mine. It belongs to God. Everything. Everyone. Corinth. 
Why do we look different if we're supposed to do it together? Corinth, do you remember that part of the agreement was that it was God's, not yours? Corinth, do you remember what I, Paul, have just said? We are servants together who've been trusted, entrusted with something. We didn't get it on our own, but you're acting like we did. It was given to us. And God will, God will judge how faithful we've been when he looks to see what we've done with the things that have been given to us. Not because they're ours and we made them, because they're his and he loves us. And if he loves us, why wouldn't he love others? Corinth, culture will tell you that you're supposed to do it alone and that you are God, that you are the creator. No, you're not. No, you're not. Calvary, a countercultural church knows that we only win together, yes. But togetherness actually isn't the solution because you all know, like I know, that people can band together and do terrible things. The solution is not just together, that is part of it. The solution is that we will be made separate because when people look at us together, it will be very clear that what we have isn't ours. It's not our stuff. They aren't our people to own. That's why it's so awful. Because we're acting as if it is. And we're doing anything we can to make sure that anyone in our path is silenced. And so in the midst of a COVID situation, where many of us have been put in a place where the things that have been silenced <coughs> are becoming obvious, why are we shocked? Why are we surprised? <coughs> but I want to remind you, I assume that we're doing our best. I really do. I care about you, Calvary. I liked teaching in the city. You probably know that because I talk about it all the time. It's probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. I grew more in that job than I did really anywhere else. But Calvary, I'm here because I feel like God has called me and my family to be a part of this community. We care about you. We're all doing the best we can. But I'll tell you like I told my students, and I will mean it in a very loving way. It's not about whether or not you're trying as hard as you can. There's still work to do. There's still people hurting. 
I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying, why do we still see the difference? That's all. It just means there's more work to do. That's all it means. And I want to encourage you that Paul says the same thing. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, Corinth, but to warn you as children. God, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm showing up the same way. I know y'all, a lot of y'all older than me. Don't, don't worry about that. That's it, just, it's okay. But this is what I'm saying. Like, my job is to pass on what was given to me. My job is to pass on what was given to me. Paul's job was to pass on what was given to him. It was not for them to be lifting him up as if Paul had anything to do with it. God is the father. And through his son, Jesus, everything has been given to us. <clears throat> but it's been given. Y'all didn't do it. I didn't do it. We didn't do it. So, why is it so awful to see people oppressed? Why is it so awful? Because we are all God's treasured possession. The whole earth is his. <coughs> Let me get some water for a second because now I'm getting worked up. All of creation belongs to the God who created it. And when we look and see people who are in need, we have to begin to see that they belong to God. If we're not doing that, what made us think it was true for us in the first place? Didn't we really think that God loved us so much that he came and he gave his only one begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, <coughs> but have eternal. Didn't we really think that? Newsflash, we're not Jews. We're more Gentiles. It wasn't even about us to begin with. But it's about us now, and I don't disbelieve that. But if it's about us what are we saying? We're saying that we believe it can be about anyone. So when people are just stomping on other people, it's a problem. As Carlos said, there is no room in the mission of God. <coughs> there is no room in the mission of God for any form of oppression. But having worked in the city, as much as we might want to disbelieve, it's still a real thing. And you don't have to agree. That's okay. I believe you're trying your best. I really do. So am I. So am I. So are they. So are we. So what does that mean? Because I promise y'all, I'm really not 
trying to shame anyone. Shame is a, shame is a terrible motivator. It was then. That was how you set people apart is through shaming. The, the dishonoring stuff, that was actually how you kicked them out. And I said, no, like you can't come near us. No, no, shame is a te- it's terrible. It separates. Whenever people are shaming in these moments, I would say, no, you're missing it. Shame is not a connector. We care about you. I know you're trying your best. That doesn't mean there isn't work to be done. So how do we do that work? I think a, cre- a question that we can wrestle with as, as people individually, but as a body of believers together is how are we sacrificing our comfort and dignity for the sake of someone else's comfort and dignity? I think you can wake up and ask yourself that question every day. How am I sacrificing my comfort and dignity for the sake of somebody else's comfort and dignity? Now, I want to show you, I want to tell you a story about how I actually did that pretty terribly. Uh, I would drive to and from Philly. And um, in the afternoon, it was like an hour and a half commute because of the traffic and stuff. I would be sitting at these certain places and there'd be uh, homeless people would be there um, asking for food. Now, I had an hour and a half drive. I would eat food to keep me awake. Uh, if I'm being honest, I don't know if that's healthy. I'm just telling you that's what I did. And uh, I would buy stacks, which are like uh, cheap Pringles. Um, anyway, I had a can of chips, cans of chips in my car. And just grab them. Eat them. Anyway, I remember one day I didn't have AC in my car. So my window was down. I'm sitting there eating my barbecue chips while someone is standing beside me at a stop sign and stoplight asking for food. And I felt convicted in the moment. And I was like, man, this, and like, I'm going to be honest, it was really hard for me to give up my stacks. I really liked them. But I said, you know what? This person's hungry. So I, I closed it up and I, and I handed it out. And I said, hey, would you like these? So the lady took them. She looked at him. She says, oh, I don't like barbecue chips. You're homeless and asking for food. And you just told me you don't like barbecue chips. That's what I thought about. And I say, that's a time when I failed. But it might look like to people that I succeeded. Didn't I give them something? I didn't give them the dignity of being able to have an opinion. Instead of saying, hey, well, what kind do you like? Or what could I bring you that you would like? I just drove away and couldn't understand why you wouldn't take the barbecue chips. You're asking for food and you won't take the barbecue chips. I want you all to understand. We're going to fail that way because it will be hard for us to understand this idea of giving real, true dignity and comfort. We're not going to do it right the first time. I believe you're trying your best. I was trying my best when I handed the barbecue chips. Y'all think it wasn't difficult? I really like barbecue chips. But I missed. And chose to believe that that person was a result of their choices, situation. They probably did that to themselves. Y'all, I don't know that person. Why am I doing that? That person is trying their best. And honestly, 
The system for homelessness in America is pretty terrible. And if you look into it, you'd see. Sorry, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to make it political. Look into it. It's tough. That's all. It doesn't matter, though. It's not about whether or not somebody put themselves in that position. Because this is what I feel like I'm hearing us argue over. Okay, so we're cool. We got to do it together. So that means I got to probably pull people into my circle. So it looks like I'm doing this together. I would caution us just like Paul cautioned Corinth. Yeah, okay, that's good. But you really need to understand that when you do it together, we all belong to God together. We all deserve the comfort and dignity together. But these are the questions that keep arising and they don't arise in this way, but they are definitely being asked. People ask me things like this. They'll say, but I didn't do that to them. I didn't cause those problems. They did it to themselves. Why should I have to sacrifice some of my comfort for the sake of their comfort and dignity? I'm not responsible. And I would say to you lovingly, because I know you're trying your best, have you met Jesus? Isn't that exactly what he does? Wouldn't you tell me, Calvary, that you are trying to be like him? Absolutely. Then yes, you will have to pay for stuff you didn't do because they don't have it and you might. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. That's how you'll be countercultural because the culture says we win alone because we are God, but the countercultural church says within the culture, we will win together because we are gods. That is, we belong to him. Start talking about the right things. Stop Apollos pawing this. It's not political. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the core that we all grow out of. It's an issue of believing in our hearts, Calvary, that we are God's. We're God's just because he loves us, because we're his treasured possession. And if we are, So is everyone, because it all belongs to him. It's not about shame. It really isn't. We're all trying our best. But that doesn't mean that there's not work to be done. There is. And if you looked hard enough, you would know that. We're trying our best. Yes, but there's work to be done. We can't win alone. We win together with God. Would y'all pray with me this morning? God, we just thank you for who you are. God, that you have made this, that all of it belongs to you, and that, yeah, life is hard and it's difficult, 
And we're all, gosh, God, we're just walking around with so much hurt, so much struggle and pain. And one thing I know is true, Lord, that hurt people hurt people. God, I pray that you would begin to arrive and heal the hurt. I pray that you would move in the hearts of not just Calvary, but everyone worldwide to understand, Lord, that you are not calling us as one to help everyone. You are calling everyone to help. And the mark of us following you, Lord, is that we will together join with you. We will lead the way, Lord, a way that involves sacrifice for the sake of other people's comfort and dignity, knowing that the end goal is connection. And the difference is made because, Lord, we connect to you. And through connecting to you, it becomes a silly question as to whether or not we should connect with what belongs to you. We can ask it. Lord, help us to see the silliness. Help us to see in our hearts that nothing, nothing is, is, is mine. I didn't do any of it. Lord, help us to see that to know that. We love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done. And uh, we pray these things in your son's name.